0: listening to the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the second episode of the Emerald Flow Show. Uh, I'm Gerard DeTrollio here with uh, Paul Vosch. And if you uh, notice, we've got new theme music this week, courtesy of Andrew Rich of uh, Music of the Mat. Another podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And if you've seen our Twitter, and when this shows up on your podcast feed, you will see that we have a new logo, uh, also courtesy of Voices of Wrestling's Jeremy Sexton. So, got to give a big thanks out to both of them for helping uh, starting to build an identity for the show. Anyway, Paul, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Gerard. I just had an espresso and now I'm full of energy especially after spending the day watching the objectively most of uh, the objectively best winter sport out there that there is and that is biathlon of course where Germany just won a gold medal today
1: yeah, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about biathlon. Some people seem to be very pro-biathlon. Some people seem to think it's uh, a bit of a ridiculous sport. Uh, i I'm sort of neutral on it. I've watched it in the past, although I haven't really watched any Winter Olympics so far this year.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, that might have inspired me bringing up biathlon just now. But I uh, to be quite honest, I actually probably would have brought up biathlon anyway because I absolutely love it. And the fact that Germany, a gold medal is probably something i would have mentioned regardless especially because it kind of came out of nowhere because germany hadn't like the german like women's team hadn't been that great so far this winter so like no one really expected them to like win anything and then uh came out of nowhere to win a gold medal now is germany a biathlon powerhouse generally or is that more the scandinavian countries no, Germany definitely is a powerhouse, especially early on. Kind of like it was kind of basically like an East versus West Germany competition. Uh, it has kind of like the Nordics have kind of caught up though. Like, And the German team currently, like they're kind of in an in-between phase because all of the like big like players that they had like a couple of years back, they've all kind of stepped back now or they're like told to compete at the top. So and the new ones haven't really like come up to the same level as like the top level by athletes, but it's definitely a team of potential. And the there's just so much depth there that like they can easily rebuild. And I would probably say that you can make an argument that like after like football stars who are like obviously like the biggest sports stars in Germany that by athletes are like the second, like behind them because they still get like good ads on TV and everything. Oh, really? So it's not hockey that comes after? no so so not to like derail this too much but basically like the way team sports is in germany obviously like football is like and i mean like the european football when i when i say that is like obviously like the number 1 in germany and it's not even close it's so much not close that i wouldn't even say there's really a second sport like i would say the biggest league in germany after the first bundesliga is the second bundesliga so the second league um uh, but definite, and then after that, in terms of team sports, you kind of have like three leagues that are like about equal in popularity, I want to say, that kind of fight for being like the like second biggest league or like second biggest team sport. And that would be ice hockey, uh, handball and basketball. And then in like in the more individual sports, you also get like Formula One, boxing and kind of various winter sports all right so that's a good little intro to
1: what's big sports in germany um one thing we forgot to do last week on our uh, intro episode is give a little bit of background about ourselves about sort of how we became wrestling fans and sort of why we are big fans of all japan and
2: noah and i guess paul
1: do you want to start explain that
2: yeah yeah um so basically i became a wrestling fan well it's more than 10 years ago so it's like I would say it was around kind of the end of the 2000s basically so i'm not someone that would have watched wrestling as a kid really and that also means that like a lot of stuff uh, from kind of older wrestling is stuff that i've kind of caught on later i would suppose i suppose i came into wrestling the way most people are and that is through WWE which is hilarious now in hindsight given my just utter disdain for the promotion these days Uh, But I also realized quickly that it's like that I like this wrestling thing, but probably not whatever this is, what I'm seeing there on TV. And I quickly kind of started to kind of delve deeper. And then it kind of came for like the gateway drug of New Japan. I quickly like branched out into like all Japan and Noah. And the way I generally tend to approach these things is like when I get into something, I get into it really deep. So I like immediately kind of started to kind of dig deep into like the history of like all the different kinds of promotions, especially all Japan and Noah, and kind of started to like watch all of the old stuff to like be fully caught up and then just kind of stuck with both promotions for like the kind of the heights as well as the lows as well. And kind of happy with the stage that to, to a degree, I'm happy with the stage that both promotions in are at this stage.
1: Uh, So my story, I think, might be a little more typical. I watched a bit of WWF when I would have been about six and seven, and this would have been in 91 and 92. Uh, I was watching on Sunday afternoons, which was sort of when it aired the big show or like Superstars or whatever it was in Canada. And uh, I vividly remember uh, Papa Shango putting a curse on the Ultimate Warrior and making him puke. Uh, that's something I remember, but then I sort of fell off, like in probably like '93, '94, '95, and then I actually sort of missed a good bit of the Monday Night Wars because I don't start watching wrestling again until about early uh, 1999. I remember the build up to um, like WrestleMania 15. I remember watching early uh, early '99 episodes of WCW Thunder with the uh, world tag team tournament that made no sense. And I also remember like, you know, uh, when Paul White jumped to the WWF, like I actually had never seen him in um, WCW. And so from there, like I kept watching WWF, but there was a lot of stuff obviously on WCW that was like, I really liked a lot, you know, with your, you know, Malenko's and your Guerrero's and the cruiserweight division. Um, And then I sort of, you know, like, the more like hard-hitting athletic elements of wcw before it you know fell apart when vince russo came in and then you know i remember buying uh the 1999 pwi 500 uh issue of pro wrestling illustrated and that's when i first saw i think uh misawa was number three that year and i think you know also in the top 10 ramudo and kobashi and there were pictures of them and they looked so cool and then um We never got ECW Hardcore TV in Canada, but we did get TNN. So when ECW uh, got onto TNN, I started watching it every Friday night. And that's where I first saw actually uh, Masato Tanaka and also Tajiri and uh, Akuto Hadaka was on a couple of those early ECW on TNN episodes. And that just totally like made me like totally attracted me to japanese wrestling and so like by very late 99 2000 i was starting to like read all the results and the information i could find I started getting tapes uh you know like i got like fmw stuff at first but it wasn't long before i g- gravitated towards all japan and one of the reasons why i have stuck with all japan all of this time is because like Toshiaki Kawada very quickly became my favorite wrestler and to this day is my favorite wrestler of all time so when the Noah split happens in July 2000 well with Kawada still in all Japan I'm like well I gotta keep watching all Japan because Kawada's here and so that sort of was the very early formative part of it and you know everything has gone on from there and I've stuck with all Japan uh, since then, and Noah as well. Um, obviously, like we'll talk about this in a bit, but like the Muto jump was a big deal and everything too. So I, I just stuck from there, and that's why you know those are the two promotions that I've paid the most attention to in the last you know over twenty years now.
2: Yeah, I think maybe that's like a good leadover as well. Like you just mentioned, kind of the Muto jump right there, and I think Gerard, uh I think you have a thing or two to say about that one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do. Well, I could go on for a long time about it, but uh, February marks February 2022 marks the 20th anniversary of uh, Keiji Muto, Satoshi Kojima and Kendo Kashin jumping from uh, New Japan to All Japan and I've got like a nearly 3000 word piece up at voicesofwrestling.com talking about the jump, some of the details about it, sort of some of the fallout, the immediate fallout of the jump and I have links to quite a few number of ma- great matches and important matches from the entire Mudo period that ran from 2002 to the summer of 2013. So, you know, uh, the consequences of this for better or worse are still being uh, felt in Japanese pro wrestling today. So I would really strongly suggest if you're unfamiliar with some of the the era and there's a lot of people unfamiliar with it because either they got into Uh, Japanese wrestling a little later once New Japan started uh, picking up steam again in the early 2010s or, you know, not everyone was uh, a dedicated watcher of all Japan, even in that period. Which you know I get and I understand, but there's really quite a few hidden gems there, and I think that my article, uh, you know, sort of highlights some of them and links to some of them. Like there's, a, I really recommend I link to a great uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Chris Sabin match from 2007, which is awesome. So you get little stuff like that that you may not have um, seen before, but is absolutely like high level, incredible professional wrestling. So check that out if you get the chance.
2: Yeah, I've, just to give my two cents on that as well, I fully have to agree with you there. Like, I think it's a really underrated era. is the kind of Meoto era of all Japan. I mean, a lot of people hand wave it really because it's kind of it's kind of just rolled into kind of the general decline that kind of happened to like all Japan around this era. But I'm not necessarily really certain like how much you can actually blame him for that, and just kind of a changing kind of demographic in japan and also obviously kind of a lot of the kind of historical a lot of the hardcore fans or the original hardcore fans of all japan kind of migrating over to noah with the whole misawa split and i think it gets really kind of unfairly treated because of that or it gets unfairly overlooked as well when there's a lot of really interesting stuff that happened at that time and it's also my all-time favorite period Uh, of satoshi kojima as well who is one of my like all-time favorite wrestlers too so like that just because of that it will always be kind of a favorite of mine too and maybe just to quickly touch on that as well so something we actually had originally planned for this episode was to actually kind of go over the history of both promotions as well but then in kind of a good turn of events we got so many questions from you dear listeners that we actually decided to kind of uh, punt on that uh, section uh, until another day. And we, we will at some point go over the history of both promotions, but not today because we probably would be here for like four hours with everything else that we got planned.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of putting some of the analysis of all Japan during that period. Although I would warn people at the same time, as much as I will defend it, there was some incredibly goofy stuff that happens. And, you know, Keiji Mudo's predilections for, uh, shall we say, sports entertainment also uh, rear their ugly head at times. So just a bit of a warning there. Anyway, uh, let's look uh at some recent shows from all japan and noah uh not super major shows but there's a decent amount of uh news and stuff worth talking about uh coming out of them i guess it's just a few minutes before we recorded um got the news that there's an emergency press conference that will have already taken place by the time you all um listen to this episode uh featuring the ghc heavyweight tag team champions Naomi michi mara fuji and the aforementioned Keiji muto Uh, Didn't say what it was about, but uh, Paul, what do you think this press conference is all about?
2: So I have a strong feeling that it is going, that they are going to vacate the titles because Mudo hasn't been on any shows since bumper crop. And he, he has just pretty much been like MIA. And I think at first, because it was noticeable that he wasn't there. And I think we actually talked about it. Uh, on the first episode as well uh, that that he hasn't been on shows but at the time it was like more like well I mean he's a bit of an older guy so it makes sense that he would like take off some shows as well to kind of just rest up his body or maybe he's like worried about the kind of rising COVID infections in Japan as well and is just kind of waiting for the heat to die down a little until they kind of really like heat up his next title program but she hasn't still hasn't come back since then. And really since it's his kind of emergency press conference, that really kind of gives me the feeling that like they are going to vacate the titles and we might get a tournament or something like that out of it.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think know had a tag league last year, but in 2020 as the um, pandemic was, I think it just hit. They had done their global tag league in the like spring, like in March, April. So I mm-hmm. uh, I could see getting, having a tag league in March and April to determine the new champions. If that's the case, it's what's going on.
2: Yeah. Do you remember who won those, uh, who won that tag league? Yes. Uh, okay. he
1: del Dr. Wagner Jr. And, um, Rene Dupree, if yeah. I'm not
2: mistaken. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, to be fair, I actually would look would be looking forward to like those two guys actually getting, but that actually would be kind of funny if they're like the two big like outsiders coming in, uh, or if they somehow manage to like bring those guys in as well, uh, and then they just win tag league again. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, um, apparently, although I don't know, a couple of weeks ago it was announced that Japan would be lessening border restrictions at, soon, but. Um, the cases continue to seem to be pretty high, so I don't know what the exact details on that is. So I think we'll know in the next couple of weeks if there's any chance of any other wrestlers, uh, foreign wrestlers popping up in Japan anytime soon. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we go to uh, the last Noah Corrigan show, which was on the 5th, I believe?
2: Uh, Yes, that was on the 5th.
1: Yes, and so uh, that was sort of built around this match wasn't part of the Go Shiozaki Challenge Series, I don't think, but it was still notable. Uh, Saw Go Shiozaki lose to to Takashi Sugera uh, via like the front net clock in about 23 minutes or so, I think, and uh, so that was a bit of a surprise. They're doing a losing streak with Go because he lost to Nakajima. On uh, January 1st, and then he lost to um uh, Kaido Kiyomiya on January 4th, and now he's lost again to Segura. So I think they're trying to beat him down before they built him back up. I thought the match was pretty good. Uh nothing spectacular, but I mean a solid 20 plus minute match from two excellent wrestlers. There's a lot of hard hitting, uh, obviously, lots of stiff chops and, and stuff like that. Although you could sort of tell uh that as great as this was, like these guys are still holding back.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That that's the feeling I got from the match as well, where it's like, okay, you're definitely like, it's not that you don't put an effort, but it's also very obvious that like you could have gone on another level if you really wanted to, but there was still some kind of nasty stuff in this one as well. Like the one that really stuck out to me was when uh, Go was kind of lying down in the corner and then Segura just starts to absolutely wallop him with forearms. Like the turnbuckles were shaking on those. Yeah. I mean, like
1: you can, like, if if you had, I suppose it's a sort of a situation. If you're watching this in a vacuum and you're just getting into Noah, you'd be like, oh, this is incredible. But if you've been following Noah a long time, you're like, "Mm, these guys are kind of holding back despite the fact (laughs) that they're clearly still kicking the shit out of each other.
2: Yeah. What I also found interesting that it was kind of a fairly dominant kind of Segura performance as well. Because when I was watching the match, I kind of had the feeling that like maybe this is gonna go, kind of this is like okay, Segura is kind of dominating him, but then Go is kind of gonna go on his comeback and win to kind of set up the kind of official challenge series. Uh, but then Go had his comeback and then he still lost and he got choked out on top of it as well. So that, I'm really curious how the challenge series is gonna go. Because beforehand I would have assumed that like he's probably gonna like win pretty much most of it maybe lose like the last match against kennel but otherwise i would have assumed that he was going to win most of it whereas now i'm curious if that's what they're going to do if they're either going to kind of split it now if you include the segura match or if you might actually even lose all of them or if you might only win one of them
1: i think he's beating tanaka at least yeah um but yeah i don't know about those other two um hard to say like this is one of those things that i i hate to say it because it gets you know mocked so much but let it play out i don't really have a good (laughs) (laughs) i really don't have a good feeling on what on the direction of this right now but i think it's obviously going somewhere just where it's Mm -hmm. going i don't know yet so i don't really have a good feel on making some like big prediction on it
2: yeah i mean especially because at first like i said my kind of the scenario that i had in mind was like that he was gonna lose to Kano only but then i also remember that marufuji technically as of this recording is still a champion as well and they don't really like dropping out champions especially not like if it's someone of like marufuji status as well so yeah i mean as i said like after this loss i really don't have like a good feeling for how the challenge series is going to go anymore and yeah we just have to kind of wait and see how it plays out make it make sense (laughs)
1: So in other uh, developments in NOAA, on February 9th at Corkin, we have a GHC junior heavyweight title match. It'll be Daisuke Harada defending against Tadesuke. Um I think this could be pretty, pretty good. Uh, I don't think Tadasuke is really that bad. I'm not saying he's the greatest wrestler ever. But when you put him in there with Harada, I think this could be a pretty good match.
2: Yeah, I'm also not a really big fan of his. I think this could be a really good match because Harada is just one of the best workers in the entire junior division. So he should be able to kind of get something good out of Tadasuke. Um I don't really give Tadasuke a good chance of winning, though, if I'm being honest. I mean, it is the no-junior division, so you never know what's going to happen. But I would be feel pretty certain that Harada is going to win this, especially because... This happens on february 9th and then on february 10th tadaska actually has a singles match uh with how so that would be kind of weird to have kind of this title match to win and then he has just a non-title singles match with how unless that somehow gets turned into like a title match then like it would just be like really messy if he kind of wins the title
1: yeah no i i Well, the junior title itself has generally been a little more stable. It's the tag titles that the junior tag titles that get uh, thrown around often and vacated for non injury, just storyline reasons. So, yeah, I would expect uh, Harada to continue to sort of defend the title. I mean, I think they're sort of doing this uh, thing with him with his sort of end innovation shows where he really feels like he's the ace of the junior division right now.
2: Yeah, yeah and we got one of those coming up kind of in between recordings as well but we don't have a card announced for that one so we can't really say anything about it
1: and also so I think you previously mentioned this but on February 10th we have uh Masakatsu Funaki defending his GHC national title against uh Masaki Monchizuki. um I think this could be awesome I just hope it gets enough time and is not just another like couple of kicks and then funaki like knocks out mochizuki with a high kick or a sleep gets him in a sleeper or an arm bar because if they even just give them 10 minutes this could rock
2: yeah yeah i mean it kind of depends which funaki we get though if we get the funaki from the match against Keno, then i might feel a little less confident about it uh but if we kind of just get like ass kicking funaki against like just Yeah, If this is pretty much just both, I would actually be happy if it's just these guys just kicking each other in the head for 10 minutes, to be honest. I think that would be exactly what I would want to get out of this match, but it has the potential to be really, really good as well. And I'm actually kind of curious about the booking because to me, this whole like Funaki betraying kind of betraying Amsalines to go to Congo was going to lead up to... uh, Muto winning the national title because he previously kind of expressed interest in doing so. So him, so Funaki, kind of going for like some of M's alliance to kind of lead up to like a Muto challenge would have made a lot of sense. But I'm wondering if that kind of gets thrown out a bit now if Muto is actually injured. But obviously, you, the leaders will actually know more about this by the time you listen to this.
1: I could also see them doing something incredibly stupid, being like. Keiji Mudo has decided to vacate the GHC tag titles because he's focusing on going after the national yeah. title.
2: Yeah. I, I, that's actually the other thing I was thinking of <laughs> because it could also be that, <laughs> which, I mean, it is not, not like the tag belts are that important to Noah, but that's still just kind of stupid to be honest. Cause especially like, wasn't, wasn't Segura both national champion and tag champion at the time. Or I think at so, one point yeah. it did sort of overlap. Yeah. So yeah, to me, that wouldn't really make a lot of sense if Muto just vacated the title just so he can focus on the national title. I suppose it makes sense in storyline because he kind of wants to like, because he wants to have like M's Alliance focus on taking the national title away from Funaki because he betrayed them to go to Congo, but still.
1: I just hate the storyline that sometimes you get in Japanese wrestling. And I remember they did this in all japan a couple of times in the 90s it's just like you're going to vacate the title you hold because you want to focus on another one i I don't know it just kind of
2: annoys me i guess yeah especially if you don't actively hold that title to me that makes sense if you hold multiple titles and you're like okay i can't really defend all of these at the same time so i'm going to vacate the title so i can focus on this title like obviously that still kind of hurts the belt that you vacate but it hurts it like significantly less if you like vacate a title that you do because you want to focus on a title that you don't even hold because you want to win that other title and then you also kind of look like a geek if you don't win that title absolutely uh well i sort of what i
1: remember is um uh the canon express uh doug furnace and uh, dan Croft. they vacated the all asia tag titles in 94 95 and they because they wanted to um move up to the uh, like the world title level, and uh, they never won those world tag titles. <laughs> and then they ended up, I think, leaving All Japan not long after that to go to like ECW and then WWF because oh. they wanted Baba to push them at that level, but Baba never did.
2: Yeah, I mean, that sure worked out for them, didn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. Oof. Now moving on to All Japan. Uh, they had a couple of shows this weekend with... Uh, Two sort of notable things coming out of the show. Uh, First off, we had a title defense where Sugi defended the title against Andy Wu in Osaka on February 5th. Uh, He won uh, with the sort of like springboard uh, Phoenix Splash in only about like eight minutes. Uh, I don't know. I thought this was okay, like three-ish stars. There were some cool high spots, but it was just like Andy Wu just, like, coming in there to collect a paycheck and not have a title match.
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, this was kind of the Sugi special because Sugi has a tendency to kind of have the same match layout every single time, and this was very much kind of the Sugi match where he, like, gets thrown out, gets thrown to the outside early in the match and gets worked over a little bit and then makes his comeback and does does a few of his flips. And, yeah, this really felt like a pain by the numbers title defense to, like, bolster the title reign as well. I mean, the interesting thing for me here, though, was kind of the post-match, because uh, we had Hikaru Sato come out as the next challenger because he beat uh, Atsuki Ioyagi earlier in the night. So I'm wondering, like, is is Sugi going to get, like, a relatively big scalp within the All-Japan Junior Division if he beats Sato? Or are we going to get, like, Hikaru Sato Junior title reign number 350? Um, I think that
1: sugi is beating sato i had to remember which s i was going to use <laughs> in there um because uh the next day in uh, nagano um sato made sugi submit to the armbreaker breaker across arm breaker in a tag match so it just seems like the way that that's being built and of course on the 23rd at Korokin, that match has now been announced for sugi versus sato so it just feels to me like a another defense for sugi yep
2: yeah. Because to me, I mean, Aoyagi just lost earlier, like against Sato, obviously. But it still just kind of feels to me like they're actually building long term to Aoyagi kind of dethroning Sugi at some point. And maybe he actually does it by like, I don't know, beating Andy Wu and Sato at some point, and then that gets him into the title mix. But uh, yeah, that still feels like what it leads up to me because that also makes a bit of sense and I think that might be why they brought in Sugi because Sugi is kind of like this high-flying type as well and uh, same as Aoyagi. so I think that kind of feels like a good kind of passing of the torch to have like Aoyagi beat like this like older high-flying guy to kind of assume the top position in the junior division and kind of maybe that's maybe kind of a bit of a change in style as well for the All Japan Junior Division
1: Uh, I think Atsuki might win that title as soon as the March uh, Oda War gym show. Um, Because generally on those Oda War gym shows, they have all the titles defended and everything like that. And I think that would be a big moment for him to do it now. I don't really think you have to drag out the Sugi reign that much longer. Um, No, yeah. And uh, I will say, though, I really dug the uh, Hikaru Sato versus Atsuki Aoyagi match on the... um, February 5th show. It wasn't very long. It was eight minutes, but a really cool finish where uh, Iwaki went for a standing moonsault, but then like Sato shifted and caught him into a cross-arm breaker for the submission. That was really cool. And uh, I guess the other stuff on the show was Koji Doi beat Shitaro Shino in eight minutes and 22 with the murder lariat. And then Kuma Arashi defeated Suwama in 10 minutes, (laughs) three seconds with a diving senton. I thought the... Doi versus Ashino match was actually pretty good little eight minute sprints. Uh, you can criticize it because once again, Ashino maybe looks like a bit of a geek. Um, the Arashi versus Suwama match uh, didn't dig it so much. It went too long. And then it, there was a dis, like an interference finish when the referee is distracted and Doi got in there to hit like uh, Suwama with a lariat. And then I thought the beat down after in the post-match angle and everything went on too long But otherwise, I thought it was a pretty solid show. Um, I thought the main event was actually awesome. I actually went four stars on it. It was just a great, like almost, it went 1929, so nearly a 20-minute sprint. And watching that, it was Kento Miyahara, Yuma Eoyagi, and Rising Hayato defeating the Total Eclipse team of Ryuki Honda, Hokuto Omori, and Yusuke Kodama when um, Miyahara pinned Honda with the shutdown German. This was just a great sprint, a lot of fun. It sort of gave me some hope in the company because here's a bunch of young guys putting on a hell of a main event. And sort of, you know, I think it sort of augurs well for sort of some of the things that All Japan needs to do to improve their products. Um, and sort of coming out of that match, I will say though, obviously this after they put on their like YouTube and on Twitter and everything, basically Hokuto and Honda got into a little fight uh backstage after the match so there's now some dissension in total eclipse what do you think of that paul
2: yeah uh i think that's definitely very interesting i mean total eclipse it feels it feels like it just formed so we'll see how that goes but i think obviously kind of the big thing for total eclipse now is that what happens when jake lee comes back because before it was just like honda just joined the uh, the faction But now it's Honda joined the faction and also put Jake Lee on the shelf. So there's definitely like that naturally will just immediately lead to tension between those two. So I think that's really only gonna increase uh, when Jake comes back as well. Uh, I mean, I don't think that Kumadoi is going to win the tag titles. So I wonder if that will then also kind of lead to kind of increase descend uh within the faction as well where they're pretty much like starting to lose all of their title matches i mean they do still hold the all asia uh, titles though but aside from that they've kind of recently have been on a little bit of a losing streak as well
1: yeah and i think it's sort of interesting to note and i've noted this in some of my written reviews on voices of wrestling omori isn't really wrestling like some sort of prick heel like he was for a lot Mm -hmm. of um 2021. Like the match where they beat Stronghearts was like a clean uh match. And a lot of his other wrestling recently has been him. He's not doing the low blows. He's not doing the crowd brawling, grabbing at chairs and stuff like he had been doing last year. So I think that seems to be suggesting like a change in character for him. And I do think I don't have timelines on the kind of injuries that Jake Lee suffered, but him returning on the 23rd at Corkin,
2: I don't think is out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think it was, I think he kind of had some Twitter post about it where I think he did talk about kind of his, that he might, that he is going to return soon. I think he did mention something like that. And I think that does line up kind of with the type of injury that he suffered as well and what would be the normal recovery time for that. So I do expect him to be back very, very soon. And I mean, as you mentioned that, is likely going to be the uh, Oda Ward Triple Crown title match as well. Uh, Miyahara against Jake Lee, unless obviously somehow Abdullah Kobayashi beats Kento Miyahara, which would be an interesting booking choice to say the least. Yeah, I really don't see what else they have for Oda Ward. Can't do
1: against Suwama again because Kento just beats Suwama in the uh triple crown tournament Mm -hmm. the only possible triple crown match you could do that hasn't been done in that long although it's been done several times over the years is against shuji ishikawa but to me those are the only possible Mm -hmm. triple crown matches at Oda ward because i don't think ashino's getting it
2: no i mean that actually would be a first time triple crown match to be honest so it would be a fresh match for the triple crown but yeah i don't see them doing it this quickly like I do I do think Ashina is going to challenge at some point but maybe not this quickly but who knows maybe maybe we're also overthinking it and maybe they're just doing Ashina versus Miyahara and then Ashina just loses the tag belts before that or maybe he challenges as tag champion who knows
1: yeah I mean I I think I don't think Runaway Suplex are losing those tag titles the way the whole Kumadoi feud has been booked is so obvious that Runaway Suplex is going to beat them after they're being dastardly cheated on and everything like that. So. Yeah,
2: no, like, because they lost both singles matches and then they got beaten down after both of them. And then if they didn't go on to lose the title match as well, that just would be kind of a complete burial for both of them.
1: <laughs> oh, that's just make another level of geekification of Ashina, yes. which I thought they were sort of moving away from.
2: But Yeah, but then they're, all, they're not even just geekifying Ashina, they're actually geekifying Suvama as well, which I don't think they're ready to do.
1: Well, to be fair... I think it's time that Suwama put over did some more jobs.
2: Is yeah, all I'll say. No, I'm I, I I'm surprised that he like l- was willing to lose to Kumar Arashi because I w- would have assumed that they were gonna split those matches. I would have assumed that Ashino loses and Suwama wins. Uh, so I was very surprised to see him lose to Kumar Arashi. But then obviously, Ashino lost clean and Suwama didn't. So there's still a difference between those two.
1: Okay. And do you think there's anything else in the world of uh, all Japan and Noah that we should talk
2: about? Um, yeah, I mean, we should maybe just quickly mention since we're obviously like we're recording right now, uh, we're not going to kind of have audio reviewing kind of the, the kind of Kirk and triple crown shot, uh, triple crown, the and triple shot, uh, for Noah that is coming up over the next couple of days. And, uh, we're, but we probably like, I mean, not probably, but we are going to have kind of written reviews on Voice of Wrestling, like either you or me or someone else is going to review each of these shows. And uh, yeah, so don't expect us to review this in audio because again, we're not going to record for another two weeks and those would be very old takes by that point. But you're going to have, you're going to find our takes uh, on these shows uh, somewhere on Voices of Wrestling.
1: Yeah, and we can at least talk about the sort of the, go matches because i think uh you know coming out of those shows there'll be the matches themselves which all should be great really looking forward to go versus Tanaka but obviously we will know where the go storyline is going after those three shows and we can sort of mm-hmm. break that down and analyze it
2: yeah but you know what gerard uh i am definitely going to watch these shows though because i mean they'll, the cards on those look very very good and everything and Living in Europe, it's uh, kind of very convenient for me because I can just sit down in the morning uh, and watch these shows. And when I do that, uh, actually something that I really, really like to do uh, when watching these because they also generally tend to end towards, towards um, kind of lunchtime as well is, and I like to make myself a nice meal. And you know what's really a great way uh, to get yourself the ingredients for that meal? It's HelloFresh because with HelloFresh, you get pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip these trips to the, uh, to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. It's real, HelloFresh is a really, really convenient service. Like it really saves you time and stress as well. So for example, for me, I actually have a very stressful period coming up at work because a lot of kind of the main work at the company that I work for is uh, done in the uh, kind of first and uh, second quarter of the year. So uh, there isn't necessarily really always time for me to kind of go out and buy groceries uh, for my meal, but also because it's very, very stressful it's, I kind of like, I just need that sustenance in me as well. Like I need a good hearty meal to kind of really be my best at work. And something like HelloFresh really helps with that because you get the, the, you get the uh, ingredients delivered right to your door and you kind of get to skip all of the queues in the supermarket at checkout and everything. You need to kind of go through the supermarket, look at what's there and everything. And you can skip all of that with HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers them right to your door and you can just make the meal. You save yourself all of that time. You save yourself all of that stress, and then you can just sit down and have a really great meal. And also, another really good thing about HelloFresh is, so HelloFresh is actually like me uh, from Berlin, Germany, and everyone knows that one thing that people in Berlin really care about it sustainability. And HelloFresh, obviously, as a as a citizen of Berlin or as a Berlin original, really has that first most on their mind, because HelloFresh is the first carbon-neutral meal kit. They're offsetting 100% of their carbon emissions. And as a result, HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought, grocery-made meals. So really, when you order HelloFresh, it saves yourself the time, it saves yourself the stress, it's great food, and it's also sustainable, so really... It's a whole win, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit.
1: Okay, so get your Hello Fresh, and as you're uh, now eating it, uh, we can move on to a few little scoops that got broken by Joe Lanza of the flagship podcast, and he was talking about that prior to the uh, last All Japan Corican show. Um, there was sort of, um, given everything that had happened in the company with talent leaving and Yuma Aoyaki saying some stuff in the press, like, you know, the company needs to sort of understand what's going on. There was a sort of a pep talk before the show, I guess, to sort of, you know, try to raise everyone's spirits. Uh, so sort of how I think of this is like, I hope this is a good sign, at least that they understand that there's changes that need to be made. I don't know, Paul, what do you think of this?
2: I mean, we shall see. I mean, the fact that Yuma Yagi is kind of someone that is kind of saying that there needs to be change is a bit worrying because obviously he is someone that they want to build around. I wasn't someone that was really worried about the recent departures from the company because to me, all of them kind of made sense. Obviously, Nomura had been out for a long time um, with his injury and potentially actually might have been planning to leave even before the injury. So that kind of goes years back. So and then Zeus obviously leaving to uh, to restart Osaka Pro, which that's understandable as well. So it wasn't really something where I was like, ah, oh, what's happening here? Like Koji Iwamoto, that one was a bit weird, but he's kind of done all he could in the Junior division and didn't really seem like they wanted to push him as a heavyweight. But if kind of this is the mood is kind of still down now, that is gets a bit more worrying at this stage. And hopefully we will actually see some changes being made. I mean, it is something that both of us have kind of voiced, kind of the frustration that it is very much kind of a same old, same old at the top of the card. And that's not necessarily even talking about Miyahara. That's probably more so talking about guys like Shuji Ishikawa and Suwama as well. So I'm curious if we're gonna see some change to the way those two are kind of booked and portrayed going forward, or because I definitely don't think that they can kind of let the situation stand as it is because if someone like Iyagi that you want to like really push going forward is demanding change, then you should better listen to that because otherwise you might make your situation way, way worse than it is right now.
1: Yeah, my thoughts exactly. And I guess connected to this, it was announced that Naoya Nomura will be working a Capture International show, uh, Capture's first show since the pandemic began, which I guess sort of came out of nowhere. I know like Nomura has done training there, and so is Yuma Aoyagi. It was uh, Capture International's owner, Koki uh, Kitahara, that taught uh, Yuma that spin kick move that he uses sometimes. But it's just sort of interesting. Uh, that he's popping up in a pretty small indie, but Paul, you had a pretty good theory about this, and what did, what was your idea about why he's popping up in Capture as opposed to not somewhere
2: bigger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not worried about it just now, because we actually had the example of yusuke Okada kind of immediately going into DDT after leaving All Japan. But he was also someone that was consistently wrestling as well, whereas Noya Nomura has been not wrestling at all for two years. He's had one match with Yuma Aiyagi, and I think he's actually had a few more shots with smaller promotions since then. But I think it's not worrying yet. It would be worrying if he's still there in six months, but I think for now it's better for him to kind of work these smaller promotions just to see if his body can kind of hold up on having more matches, on having more regular matches as well. And I can't really fault bigger promotions like DDT and Noah are not immediately jumping on him, despite his obvious talent. Because it looks very silly, like if for example, you're Noah and you sign Noah and you bring him in with like a big fanfare and everything. And then he has like two or three matches and then he like needs to go away again because his body just can't hold up with the injuries. So if I'm the if I'm the Cyberfight promotions, I first want to see if this guy can kind of keep going, if his body can hold up to wrestling regularly. And if it can, then I'm absolutely jumping on him. and trying to bring him in and kind of really be a guy that I would push as well.
1: So let me ask you this sort of connected. I think Nomura was saying that he was sort of working like a regular job, uh, sort of to pay the bills and everything like that throughout his injury. If Nomura's, health holds up and he can slowly come back into wrestling does he end up in a cyber fight promotion or what do you think the chance of him even just returning to all japan are
2: i mean i could see him returning to all japan but i mean as far as i remember there were also some statements as well that he had kind of been planning that he had actually become a freelancer even earlier than we when then we knew he did where i think he said that he had actually became a freelancer at the end of 2019 as well and then it just happened that he got injured in 2020 and that just put him out uh, for the whole year uh or for nearly two years so i don't know how much interest he honestly actually has in staying with all japan and that's why I think really that cyber fight promotions make the most sense because as much as I like him, I don't think he's a guy that would go to new Japan because to be honest, I don't think he has the look that new Japan once. So, so I think something like a Noah, for example, would make perfect sense for him or obviously DDT would make a ton of sense if he like wants to become another member uh, of burning. So with his uh, mentor in Akiyama. So that's why to me those make like, the most sense because what other promotion is there really where you can kind of be a full-time wrestler as well, if that's something that he wants to do.
1: And, um, sort of connected to that, what we were talking about that the news is that I, I don't know what to make of all of this. Obviously there's the language barrier and translation, but certain elements of the timeline don't completely line up that he went freelance when he did because Japan never made that announcement and he had been booked for the champion carnival uh, in 2020. Mm-hmm. So until I can get some more info in that, mm-hmm. I am being a little skeptical of all of that, but I, I don't have any reason to say it's not true, but it, you know, but there's some things that just don't make sense about it.
2: Yeah, no. And I mean, it's like he got booked for the champion carnival and it was obviously the favorite to win it as well. Or he was, I think everyone assumed at the time that he was going to win like if the pandemic doesn't happen and his injury doesn't happen, then he was gonna be a guy that was very likely going to win the triple crown in 2020. So that that's why that also seems weird to me that he would become a freelancer. And that was also just at like just around the time that they formed Jin as well. So it would be very weird that like this guy goes freelance and then all Japan gives him his own stable pushes him really hard and would likely put that top title on him. Like that seems like very odd timing as well to me. Like I have to agree. So, but that's what I got from that statement. So, yeah, I I don't know what would be like a good way for us to really verify that. (laughs) Just sort of just straight up asking Noya Nomura when he became a freelancer. But yeah, I mean, if he has interest in coming back to All all Japan, then I would be, absolutely 100 percent in favor of him coming back to all japan because i think they very desperately need him they need someone like him and he would just be like they would obviously need to like build him up a little bit but i think they could just very quickly insert him right into the top picture of the promotion
1: and speaking of uh Jin, one of the great what-ifs of professional yeah, God, wrestling yeah. in the last i love couple that years. Picture when it formed uh I guess some some of the other info that Joe had was like, All Japan is very interested in uh, Ayato Yoshida. They have a business partnership with 2AW. The 2AW president, I believe, sits on All Japan's board of directors. There's always been back and forth. But it seems as if Yoshida doesn't isn't necessarily the most gung-ho of working that much All Japan, which also connects to Andy Wu, who, again, also formerly All Japan guy under the Mudo era and before he went to Wrestle 1 um all japan ha likes him and have been trying to get him for more dates but he's like i'm doing my colega that has sort of precedence and that kind of thing so you know i don't know it sort of seems like mm, people that you would think would want to work all japan and could use the exposure regardless of what you think of all japan it's still bigger than those <laughs> other companies i don't seem to really want to work all
2: japan what do you think of that paul So, yeah, I I don't know what's happening there with All Japan and their payouts uh, because it might be that All Japan, just kind of based on the fact that they have kind of TV contracts and everything and they're streaming uh, everything on All Japan TV, like might be telling people that maybe like they get big exposure there. So they might be using this as kind of leverage to kind of not pay people as much. So it might actually be a thing that maybe... Yoshida like earns more money kind of working the top of the card in 2AW mm-hmm. uh, same with Andy Wu kind of him being kind of the Colega champions that he might earn more money being the Colega champion and that uh, that I mean obviously I don't think Collega pays as much on a per shot basis but like just given that they kind of run every day of the month it might actually mean that he actually makes more money mm-hmm. in Colega in a week than he would Uh, Do just working the occasional All Japan show. But yeah, I don't know. It's definitely not a great sign that like people are like, oh, I could work like All Japan and could be on like Geora or I could just work to AW and never be seen.
1: Yeah, I I think my mind, it's not like about getting them to jump to the company, but just work more dates for them. But I guess maybe people don't want to or whatever. And maybe Yoshida's upset that he because of uh Taka's perverted ways, he's not currently a contracted New Japan wrestler.
2: Yeah, but I mean in that I mean if that's that's your worry then like I don't know. I mean it's then the the solution to that isn't in staying in two because you you're even less likely to be signed by New Japan if you just stay in two and you never make TV and like no one's aware that you even exist because like for a while there, like, I don't know, like, sometime late last year, there was definitely a period of time where I kind of forgot about Ayato Yoshida, and then he popped by Bob, and I was like, oh, yeah, right, this guy is like, super great, and should be, like, everywhere, and should be in, like, major title pictures in, like, literally every wrestling promotion in Japan, but he just, like, sits in the Chiba... No, the... what was it? It was... it was the Chiba Blue Hall, and it's the... Does 2AW A-W Square. In... 2AW A-W square. square, yeah, yeah, and it's in the two... 2AW Square in Chiba, And yeah, I don't know what he does like outside of that.
1: Now, it might not even be an all Japan thing, because if you go and look on Cage Masters thing and look at Yoshida, it's not like he's working every indie under the sun when 2AW is not running a show either. So it could just be, uh, you know, he wants to do just, you know, 2AW mostly with Mm. the occasional shot elsewhere. That could just be the, the thing.
2: Maybe he just doesn't like the subway ride into Tokyo. Perhaps not. Okay. So uh,
1: we uh, reached out via the Voices of Wrestling Discord and our Twitter account at Emerald Flow Show for questions. And we got plenty of questions. So we'll start with uh, from the Discord, the Emerald Flow Show channel and the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Uh, Droman, who is I know a listener and a big fan of All Japan. He's um, got a couple of questions here that I will start with. Um, so we'll these are pretty i think pretty easy we can go through quickly besides aoyagi ashino and lee who should be in contention for triple crown challenges and tournament finals um i don't know if they have anyone else ready i mean they have obviously tried to do that with honda but i think anyone else is going to take a little more development before you can put them in those positions
2: yeah i agree i mean i would put Suwama in there i mean it's kind of a tired answer but he is just kind of still a guy that you can put into those occasionally like i think you can still throw like i don't think you should win the triple crown but you can still throw like a challenge a year or so his way tournament finals yeah i probably wouldn't put him in a champion carnival final to be honest um but yeah otherwise i I don't see anyone
1: i would put Suwama in a champion carnival final if he was putting over finally either aoyagi or ashino in a singles match
2: True. That that actually would be that actually would be a proper big win. Yeah. If he actually if you actually make this year's championship carnival final, Aoyagi e. versus Suwama, then and Aoyagi e. wins, then I think that's worth it putting him in there.
1: Yeah, that's my feeling on that. Uh all Japan's relationship of all Japan's relationship with 2AW, Big Japan, and just tap out, uh, who do you think provides and some of the others, who do you think provides the most benefit to all Japan? Um he, it's sort of funny because um It's hard to say who provides the most benefit because they're not like consistent. It's not like every show has a 2AW guy or every show has a Big Japan guy. I thought the relationship with great has actually been not bad because they got strong hearts on a lot of shows. And then you got like uh, Atsuki, Aoyagi, and Rising Hayato have been getting some experience working great shows. So to me, I would say the great relationship is probably the best one going right now. But I think one of the, and I don't know if there's really a Just Tap Out relationship other than just using Ren Ayabe. Um, I mean, the way that Just Tap Out is, is that the, all of those talent are gonna get picked up by a bigger promotion later anyway. I mean, we've already seen that with like Hayato, Tamara, Tamara going to, um zero one and then great. And then obviously Micah uh, being picked up by stardom. So I don't know. I, I would like all Japan to leverage their uh, relationship with other promotions more, Uh, you know, get someone better than, from big Japan than Abdullah Kobayashi to challenge for the triple crown. Um, But right now I would say great is the most interesting relationship that all Japan has.
2: Yep. I agree. Um, That is definitely the one out of like the current going with like, I, I mean, Do we really still think they even have a relationship still with Big Japan? Because it's been a while since Big Japan. Well, oh no, wait, sorry, Abdullah Kobayashi. (laughs) Just completely blocked that out of my mind (laughs) that he's the next Triple crown challenger. So yes, that is very much still an ongoing uh, relationship because I was more thinking about like Okabayashi because he's the Big Japan guy I really want to be in all Japan.
0: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, club.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: Um. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, I think out of like those ongoing ones, I think the, kind of that was kind of the best relationship. But I think if we kind of want to include relationships that Aren't really active anymore, but happened were kind of happening very recently. Then my vote is for the Dragon Gate relationship because we got some very kind of fun junior teams. We got uh, Mochizuki and uh, Yusuke Santa Maria in the junior tag league out of that, and we got the great uh, Susumu junior title reign. So I think really that was the one that kind of brought the most kind of fresh match-up and kind of really freshened up the junior division at the time as well.
1: Yeah, I think the Dragon uh, Gate relationship was really good. Now, my only critique of it is is that you didn't have that many Dragon Gate guys popping up that often, really. Like, for the Junior Tag Battle of Glory tournament and then, like you said, Susumu uh, run as Junior Champ and then a a few times in between. Now, if you were to give me the choice of regular great participation versus very occasional Dragon Gate participation i'd actually go with great but if you could have you know dragon gate talent on at least every korakin show and on any sort of other major show consistently then i would take dragon gate for sure but to me with dragon gate it was just the frequency
2: yeah no i agree the only thing with the great relationship is that like i want to see more of those guys in all japan except for shima (laughs) <laughs> i I'm, I'm, I'm think i'm kind of done with shima and all japan like it was nice but like the end of that title run kind of like soured it for me
1: yeah i don't think he's going to be back anytime soon he's trying to get into new japan now it seems yes. like um what do you think that is the big advantage noah has in its booking and creative etc that isn't related to its cyber ownership that neither an all japan or new japan has uh i would say sort of Somewhat seriously and somewhat tongue in cheek, Nosawa wrong (laughs) guy, and his relationships.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair because, like, a lot of people wouldn't be in Noah right now if it wasn't uh, for Nosawa. I think the advantage that they also really have is kind of the style of wrestling that they do as well, and the fact that it works perfectly, kind of with kind of the kind of clap crowd wrestling, or when we even had the uh, kind of no fans wrestling shows as well, because them just kind of like laying it in and everything, like I think that's a really big adventure they have and also that they kind of have like a really great production team. I think obviously kind of like the New Japan production is kind of better because they have more money, but I think Noah really kind of makes the most of the money that they have on the production side because the product just looks amazing and just everything just looks as good as it possibly could.
1: Okay, and the last part of Droman's question is if you had to trade one junior and one heavyweight from one roster to the other for a year, who and why? Uh, And then if you had to swap one stable, which and why? So I would say I would send Hikaru Sato and Suji Ishikawa to Noah for Kaito Kiyomiya and Daisuke Harada for one year. And if I were to swap stables, I would swap purple haze for a peril stummel de Hepon. <laughs>
2: that's an interesting one. Okay. So if I had to trade one June, so I would also send Hikarasato because I think that's just kind of a slam dunk, more or less. Uh, and in terms of heavyweights, I would probably send, would I send as a heavyweight? That's a bit of a difficult question. I would maybe send actually Suwama because I think he just fits in well kind of with the general kind of old man stables uh, that Noah's got going. So I think he would fit in really well. Maybe he can kind of like change his cell. Well, no, I think there's like, I mean, yeah, I think actually would fit in really well with Segura gun, to be honest. So I think I would send him over and then from uh, Noah to All Japan in terms of juniors, Um I would actually pick how because he's one of my favorites there and i f- would be kind of interested to see what he could do with kind of all of the young juniors in all japan and kind of help them develop as well and in terms of heavyweights i would send over yashiki Inamura because he just fits in kind of with the beefy boys that they have in all japan so i think he would really benefit from that and if i had to swap one stable uh i would send uh But maybe, yeah, I mean, I already sent uh, Hikaru Sato and uh, Sawama, so I might as well send Dan Tamura as well (laughs) and then get all of evolution uh, sent uh, to Noah. And the faction that I would send back is I would uh, swap. I would put in uh, Congo because I just love Congo and I kind of want to see all of the Congo guys, kind of like that would just, that actually would kind of solve all Japan's problems of having kind of fresh challengers For Kento Miyahara and Kento Miyahara versus Katsuhiko Nakajima is a really spicy match that has a very decent chance to become a shoot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I, I just don't think it's ever on the radar, even with all the money that could be made from it, unfortunately. No,
2: no, absolutely not. These two legitimately, utterly despise each other. I mean, it is wrestling, so never say never, but that one is really far up there in terms of like well see the thing is we might
1: end up getting it but they'll both be like 45 or something and 45,
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly like I, I could definitely see it then when they're both like uh, we're both like older now and at the end of our careers so who cares let's just make some money yeah okay so then uh, the next rounds of questions we have from dr. Prince also from the Discord. So according to the other NOAA boss whose name eludes me, the 1-1 Budokan made a profit with 3.1k attendance. Does this surprise you? And do you think if the scheduled big NOAA shows end up drawing similarly large, large numbers? It doesn't really surprise me that they made a profit off of that because venues in Japan are still kind of desperate to get really any business that they can get, can get with the attendance restrictions. So I think that prices for every window, venue, you are still super low right now so that you can make a profit on even relatively small attendance numbers. And then kind of for the other big NOAH shows, it depends. They have a very ambitious schedule, obviously. And then it kind of depends on what happens to the attendance restrictions in Japan. And if wrestling attendance kind of recovers after that, or if it kind of stays at the level it is currently because if it stays at the level it is currently then that's obviously bad and but if it kind of recovers nicely then i could actually see noah still kind of draw good houses if they're actually allowed to fully sell out arenas as well what do you think gerard
1: yeah i think they can do it although i would say is is if as long as the um pandemic restrictions are in place i think three point one thousand is the baseline i don't think you want to dip below that because that's already down from I think it was about four thousand that were there in the Budokon in February twenty twenty one for um Go versus Muto. Uh so that's a drop that's a sizable drop even with the restrictions in place. So I think that to me, three point one is the baseline. And uh, but I think they can do it. It definitely
2: feels like there's buzz in the company. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, and also, what do you think of the lower than usual attendance numbers? Can it just be disregarded due to Omicron fears and general pandemic, or is it a false image that Noah has momentum in Japan, or is it something else? Well, it's a perfect follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I do think Omicron has something to do with it, because Japan did have, a, because Japan kind of always was the very, I would. It is kind of hard to say to be overcautious in the middle of a pandemic, but let's just say they were definitely more cautious than most European or kind of North American countries or really most countries around the world uh, when it comes to COVID and really kind of just the way Omicron just spreads like wildfire, like led to just a massive like increase in cases that Japan hadn't seen before. And I think that definitely kind of scared some people off the shows But yeah, we'll see kind of if that is a reversible trend or if that might actually be a long-term thing. Um, I think NOAA has momentum.
1: I think if things were to open up, when we would get our sense of things, they would be doing better than they were uh, right before the pandemic started. Um, One thing I don't think, other than stardom, everyone seems to be down. But I think one underappreciated part about this is not just... The pandemic or fears of Omicron, but all of the companies have just run Tokyo into the ground. Yeah, and that's why you know everybody's corking numbers seem to be not as good as they were at earlier parts of the pandemic. Again, I don't have any proof of that, but it just seems like the sheer number of Tokyo area shows might also be playing into this.
2: Yeah, I mean, New Japan like once like attendance like eases up again and they properly start touring again they do They, i know they do like a monthly hurricane show normally but they should just like skip hurricane for like three months just to like rebuild tokyo to some degree and i'm actually curious about noah like now this week when they're gonna run like hurricane like three shows in a row how attendance numbers are gonna look like across all three shows if we see like a if they still like decent attendance for the first one and if it drops off after that or if they kind of draw the same number for every single show
1: yeah i think it'll also be a good test of
2: go's drawing ability okay so next one also when does terina avenge the betrayal of masakatsu funaki well obviously that is going to happen at the cyber fight number cyber fight festival number two where we will finally get the big Apuestas match between Jirina uh, and uh, Fonaki, so that that dastardly Fonaki finally has to pay for his betrayal of M's Alliance. But yeah, I mean, more seriously speaking, like I mean, I outlined it earlier. where very much. I have a feeling that that whole thing is going to lead to Muto winning the national title, and I think that's going to be Jirina's. Uh, that will be her vengeance fulfilled if uh, Funaki loses the national title.
1: Yeah, I agree. As long as Mudo is not actually injured right now.
2: So I guess yeah, I'll find out yeah. in a few hours. But uh,
1: <laughs> that could be, unfortunately, that Jarina will not be getting revenge if Mudo is going to be out for a while. Got a, another uh, question from Discord from uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro's own Rika Tatsumi. <laughs>
2: Um, definitely the original definitely definitely the
1: real rika tatsumi asking this question of us and it is Congo geeks in red or ass kicking faction well uh as someone that uh, has decided and vowed don't pay any mind to anyone that says that uh keno is a geek or goofy or anything like that i say they are an ass kicking faction and the Best ass kicking faction in wrestling right now. Yeah,
2: I fully agree. If my chair wouldn't be creaking very loudly, if I got up right now, I would get up right now, kneel down, and put out my fist uh, and loudly play uh, uh, Keno's theme song. But I'm not going to do that. But I fully agree with you. Uh, Congo is an ass kicking faction. Congo always will be an ass kicking faction, and he will be even still be an ass kicking faction even after Keno gets kicked out. <laughs> okay uh so then the next question we have from shut up patrick on twitter which is more likely honda gets booted from total eclipse when jake gets back or jake sides with honda and boots out Hokuto? i think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier or at least where we kind of see that like tension is going to increase when jake gets back um i mean yet draw to touch on it early like Hokuto has been wrestling a lot less heelish than he has in the past so I could definitely see Hokuto uh, getting kicked out of the faction because to me it would be kind of weird if Honda jo- joins Total Eclipse interests Jake in the process and then just gets kicked out of the faction again after two months. That just would make him look kind of terribly. Whereas I would be kind of interested to see kind of the development of Hokuto now and if he can also like still be as great as he is as a face
1: yeah i think he can be as great as he is as a face because he wrestles a lot better when he is a face (laughs) or at least not you know trying to kick people in the balls or taking chairs and stuff uh yeah and i agree uh to me the most likely is uh jake signing with honda and frankly getting booted out of a a faction after like a month or two of joining is just pure geek shit that Honda doesn't need at this point. And I think Honda's been playing a great heel. Um, he might even be a better heel than Jake Lee at this point. <laughs> I don't know, you know? I mean, come on. I mean, that, he's he's really impressed as a heel so far. So I think, uh, yeah, Hokuto leaves
2: if uh, there is a split. I mean, the, actually what I think would be even more likely is that both Jake and Hokuto get, both get kicked out of Total Eclipse. Like, I think that's an even yeah, later scenario could, than Honda getting kicked out.
1: Yeah, because it might be time to cut bait on like devious Jake Lee. I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get rid of the laughs and everything like that. It might be time to do that. And him and Hokuto could have a tag runner or something, you know, that would be good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next question comes from John Service on Twitter. Uh, with the success of the joint New Japan Pro Wrestling Noah Wrestle Kingdom show, do you think it's possible we see any New Japan talent in the N1 Victory Tournament this year? Or even one or two NOAA guys compete in the G1? I wouldn't call it impossible, but it just doesn't seem like much is happening on the New Japan NOAA front after the show happened. I mean, obviously, like, just look at the way the card turned out. Very political from top to bottom. I think... I think the N1 last year was pretty good. I think the G1 could really use some uh, some outside talent in there to freshen things up, especially if they can't get uh, foreigners into the country by the time the G1 rolls around because New Japan has got like a ton of great foreigners they could put in, but the you know the current border situation is the the real issue. So I would say it's possible, but I'm still leaning unlikely even if they should do it.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think if New Japan is able to get some like, foreign outsiders in, like if they can get, for example, if they can get someone from like a Brian Danielson from AEW or something like that, then I don't think they're going to put a NOAA guys into the G1 this year. Um, and with the N1, maybe there's going to be a New Japan guy in there. But I think also one of the main issues actually with that is that those two tournaments kind of overlap so i don't like at, at least if, i don't think they have really announced the schedule for either tournament and maybe the g1 will kind of move back to its kind of spot a bit later in the year than it's been in the last two years because of the or early in the year sorry being kind of earlier in the year than it's been in the last two years because of the olympics um but like if it doesn't if it kind of stays where it has been in the past two years then it, it's not really possible to work both tournaments because there's just too much overlap there. But yeah, I mean, I could definitely maybe, if there is a New Japan guy in the N1, I would maybe see someone that like is isn't put in the G1 anymore, like a Kojima. And to be honest, that actually would be kind of cool. Like I, I'm actually all in favor of Satoshi Kojima in the N1. They so could see something like that happen, but I don't think we would see like, a Hir- Hiroshi Tanahashi in the N1.
1: And the second uh, question that John had was, uh, what do you believe is the direction of Go Shiozaki's current challenge series? Do you think it's likely we'll get a Shiozaki Nakajima rematch for the GHC title at the Yokohama Budokan show in March? I think we already went over this. I'm not sure what the direction is. But now sort of thinking about, okay, well, they got Yokohama Budokan in March. You know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for another Go Nakajima match because I'm trying to think Kaido needs some more building back up. I don't think they're going to do Keno versus Nakajima again. So I don't really know who there is uh challenger wise. So, you know, I don't think it's, it's certainly uh, impossible at all. And the more that I think about it, because the, uh, cause what really sort of makes me think that it's real possible is that I don't really see what the alternative is for that show at this point.
2: Yeah. I mean, I still wouldn't put it past them if it is Kaito but obviously they've done absolutely nothing with him recently and it seems like very much the focus is on Shiozaki so but I'm just not certain how that's going to go because it doesn't really make sense like because then he needs to win all of the matches in a challenge series because otherwise it doesn't make sense for him to like lose to Segura and then lose like even one of the matches in a challenge series and then still be like well I might have not won all of the matches in a challenge series but I should still get the title shot because reasons like that would just be very stupid. So the moment he loses a match over kind of this coming week, we know he's not going to be the challenger. And then I'm curious where they go then.
1: Yeah. I don't know what else could they do. Um, Sugera versus Nakajima. Uh,
2: Like it just doesn't seem,
1: it just doesn't seem like there's a, a lot of options.
2: I mean, I, to be honest, I mean, now that you mention it, <laughs> that might be it because, but it's still like you want to have like a proper drawing match for Budokan. I mean, it doesn't really excite me, but I I think they could sell some tickets with uh, with Segura versus Nakajima and it would be a great match too. And then you can kind of save Go versus Nakajima for a bit later in the year as well. So actually, now that you mention it, I think that might have a decent chance, especially since he, since he also just beat Go too. So, yeah. yeah, there's no one it else. Marfuji. Fuji, he's already
1: beaten, Yeah, you know, and Mudo's in the national title or he's injured. So, I don't, yeah. and I would hope that someone else gets a big win over Mudo instead of Nakajima, because someone
2: else, you know, <laughs> who needs it. Um, yeah, he's not getting it, Gerard, you know, he's not getting at it, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Next question from, uh, voice of wrestling zone, Joe Gagne, listen to the five-star match game, uh, on the podcast network. And he asked us this question on Twitter. So the next wrestler to win the Triple Crown for the first time, meaning they haven't won it before. That's easy. It's Yuma Eiyagi. Uh, unless Noya Nomura comes back quickly and is like, hey, yeah, I want to wrestle in all Japan full time. Then they might fast track him into the, the Triple Crown. But even then I might think that Yuma Ayagi is going to win it before him. Really the only other candidate I can see that is like that is kind of likely to win the triple crown anytime soon is Shotaro Ashino, but I don't really see him being even close to like winning it right now or this year. So I think the easy answer here is Yuma Aoyagi.
1: I certainly had my fingers crossed for Ashino, but I think realistically it's Yuma Aoyagi as well. I just don't really see who else there is.
2: Yeah, the point. only yeah, the only other one I could see is like an outsider. And again, we can't really predict that. And even then, I wouldn't even know who would be like a believable outsider they could bring in that could win the Triple Crown like right away. Hiroshi Tanahashi? <laughs> yes, Hiroshi Tanahashi would be an option, yes. As would be Kazuchika uh, Okada or Kota Ibushi, yes. or Kenny. Yeah, if they bring in Kenny Omega, yes, that would be a real... He could win the Triple Crown right away. But I have a feeling none of those will turn up in all Japan this year, except for like the joint show, but more on that later.
1: Okay, so uh, next question from Twitter, uh, from Jason Abish. I uh, hope I pronounced that properly. Um, do we know how long Jake Lee is out for? Uh, no, we don't. But I mean, broken nose, broken audible bone. You're looking in like, what, uh, six to eight week timeframe?
2: Yeah. And generally? I think, yeah. yeah. So Maybe I a think little longer? Yeah, that's what we're approaching right now. So that's why we were saying that He's probably gonna be back soon because unless there's like complications we don't know about that's like the time frame for him to like return relatively soon since he got hurt early in the year.
1: i broke my nose once it was fully healed in about four weeks so um yeah i don't know what about orbital yeah. bones though but i don't think they're that long i mean some people have gone back real fast from broken orbital bones i know but i guess it just depends on the nature of the break
2: yeah yeah i mean that's also i mean obviously like because that affects your eyes so it's not really something you want to screw with because that could just really really badly affect you long term if you do so it's definitely something where you want to be on the safe side but i also don't expect them to be out for that much longer like, oh yeah I actually well, wouldn't be i actually wouldn't be surprised if he returns kind of at some point during the uh the current control later this month
1: if you don't properly, if you have, if you're dealing with orbital bone issues, and you don't let it properly heal it up, it can actually change, like the, can be permanently out of place. Just as an aside, I was watching a um, shoot interview uh, with Chris Hero talking to uh, Jonah, the former Bronson Reed, which is really worth watching if you're a fan of Noah, because he talks about um, his time in the Noah dojo and has some funny stories about some Noah talent. But basically, he rushed back and didn't really take the proper break from his uh from damaging his orbital bone and it's like permanently out of place type thing so Oof. yeah you don't want to rush back from that
2: yeah that's rough did did chris hero mention when he's gonna return to wrestling he did not mention anything about returning to wrestling oh, that's a shame not gonna elaborate any further on that <laughs>
1: Oh, and uh, do we have any detail? The second part of Jason's question is: Do we have any details about that All Japan New Japan Korakuen show? Uh, no. Uh, all we know it's that in April, uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of Korakuen Hall, uh, opened in 1962. And um, so we don't have any idea if it's just each company putting on a couple of matches, or there's actually going to be inter- inter-promotional stuff. I would assume we're going to be hearing about that sooner rather than later because we're getting into February and they would announce some stuff ahead of time. But I would say that the kind of card that you get on that show will tell us if we're going to get a bunch of All Japan and New Japan interaction going forward in the year to celebrate the 50th anniversary and what that might look like. But, you know, we won't know
2: until they announce it. Yeah, I mean, I very much expect that card to be fully kind of multi-man tags because if the New Japan Noah joint show at Wrestle Kingdom was only like pretty, more or less only multi-man tags, then I would fully expect this to be the case here as well, maybe with like a token singles match being thrown into the mix. But yeah, we shall see because it is kind of, Definitely. I think that's really the interesting thing coming out of this is like, if we see anything more after this, especially in the lead up to the, uh, to the anniversary show, because I do think they kind of might need some help drawing for that because they do need a big crowd to make it look proper.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Okay. Then the next question comes from dark whale bone on Twitter. I have a question about all Japan. As a UK resident, how do I watch? Well, Dark Whalebone, uh, the easiest way for you to watch All Japan Pro Wrestling is via the wonderful streaming service called alljapan.tv. Unfortunately, we do not have a a referral code just yet, maybe. I don't think they even have referral codes. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, so all you need to do on there is you can sign up and you can really pretty much just use any card that you have available, any credit card that... Really easy uh, to sign up. Uh, It's really easy. Like uh, it gets paid in yen, so you need to be aware of that if there's any kind of uh, exchange uh, fees that you might get. Actually, I I looked
1: this up. 900 Mm -hmm. yen right now, or as as of a day or two ago, was five pounds and seventy six pence.
2: Yeah, so it's easily affordable as well, and you get really uh, every pretty much every show that All Japan puts on. Like pretty much every show that they have is either live streamed or it, uh, goes up on VOD, uh, on the same day, mostly, uh, most of the shows are without commentary. And, uh, I don't know about you, Gerard, I, for me, it's actually kind of weird sometimes when I listen to an all Japan show that has commentary just because I watch so many shows that don't have it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm used to the commentary on, um, title matches mostly because those will be on the bigger shows that have commentary. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. definitely. Like But uh, yeah, so that's really the easiest way uh, for you to watch it. So just, you can all, the uh, site is also available in English. So you just need to go to alljapan.tv and sign up and start watching and then just tell us how you like the shows.
1: And I guess, you know, sort of bouncing off this question, if you're, you know, listening, just curious, maybe not even sure about Noah. Noah is on Wrestle Universe and Wrestle Universe, I believe, is 900 yen as well. And it gets you. No, Pro Wrestling Noah gets you DDT, gets you Tokyo Joshi Pro and Gambari Pro, and now it even gets you GCW. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what I want out of my Japanese streaming service, Jordan them. Well, <laughs> there's a couple
1: of GCW shows from, I think, late last year that have gone up on Wrestle or are about to go up on Wrestle Universe, and I'm sure there's going to be some more. Now, they're going to have Japanese commentary,
2: I believe which really is a step that's, up. That's actually a massive improvement. <laughs> I might watch those actually. <laughs> I think they might actually be like geo-blocked to just Japan, but if they're not, if maybe they're just geo-blocking like the US or whatever, then I might actually watch those to just to see what the difference is. <laughs> and, I, and so
1: regardless of whether or not you get GCW or not, I mean, you get four promotions already. It might be the best deal in streaming of wrestling with the exception of maybe
2: IWTV but yeah
1: um certainly among the japanese companies it's the best
2: deal yeah absolutely and i think they might they've also talked about the fact that they can that they also want to expand the number of promotions they have on there as well so i wouldn't assume that like they've already had 101 one show uh, on yeah. there this year they had
1: the prominence um sort of intro show
2: yeah so that who yeah we're going to see how that like develops as well going forward and i would maybe see i would actually probably guess that we might actually see like another Japanese promotion join the service at some point as well. Like, I don't know which one, like I haven't heard anything, but just the way they're talking about it. Like I have a feeling that there's like multiple ones that they might be interested in signing up for it. Yeah.
1: And I guess related to this, did you see that tweet from Senshiro Takagi? He seemed excited to someday get Joey Janelle in DDT.
2: (laughs) I mean, I, I think Joey actually could be a lot of fun in DDT. Like I think he actually is someone that would fit in really, really well in DDT.
1: So yeah, you have all those things to look forward to on Wrestle Universe. And now our next question is from uh Fane Yolo on the Discord. Okay, simple question. Top three favorite wrestlers from Noah and All Japan currently and respectively. Okay, so I'll start with all Japan. Kento Miyahara, Yuma Aoyagi, and Shotaro Ashino from Pro Wrestling Noah, uh Kaito Kiyomiya, Yoshiki Inamura and keno
2: okay yeah uh, my all japan list is it's kento Miyahara yuma yagi and shotaro <laughs> so, as you can see you get all the different opinions right here on the emerald flow show um so uh, for noah it would be uh, katsuhiko nakajima in number one keno as my number two and then my number three would be Takashi Segura. So we have a little bit more variety there. Okay, so then uh, our last question comes again from WoW Zone uh, Griffin Pelletier on our Discord. Uh, will Ninja Mac flop in NOAH? I mean, first of all, it is actually going to be a while until Ninja Mac actually gets to NOAH, which was also announced today, uh, where he was actually supposed to go there this month already. So he now said that he's not going to be going to Noah until April. So, and hopefully that will happen as well. Uh, we don't yet know what kind of the kind of restrictions are going to be then. Um, will he flop a Noah? That is in Noah? That is an interesting question. I'm not sure. I mean, I have seen a couple of Ninja Mac matches, and he is definitely someone that, like, I think there's a very wide variance on how this Nova run could go. I could very easily see it be a complete disaster where like he just goes in there and like he just never gels with the other people in the promotion and he just like, they go through the tour and then he's just never brought back again and it's never talked about again. I could also see him be a guy that is kind of reined in a bit because I think that's something that Ninja Mac probably needs because he's, like, he's one of those guys where like he needs a bit of structure because just on the current US Indy scene, like, you just go out there and like it's perfectly fine for him to just go out there and do like, all of his flips everywhere, which is really pretty much everything that he's able to do right now. Uh, I mean, the term spot monkey gets thrown around really for pretty much every wrestler that has ever done a flip is called a spot monkey, but he is a spot monkey right now. So I think he would really benefit from having a bit like going in there into like a Japanese multi-man tag match and really like having the guys tell him the structure and really kind of being put into that system so that he can actually like work on his fundamentals more. But I could very easily just see him not being willing to do that and then it's going to be a disaster.
1: Yeah, I mean you you got it all basically to me it's like if ninja mac has any potential of becoming a great all-around wrestler then it will come out in noah uh and if he doesn't it will also come out in noah that he'll just get totally exposed (laughs) although i suspect he'll get over on some level just given how spectacular he can be at times but um so yeah it is interesting to watch i guess um it's a real like question because it's like there's like a lot of the the spot types that just totally get eaten alive in Japan, but there's those that go and thrive and really develop to become complete professional wrestlers. So if nothing else, it'll be interesting to watch, I think, Mm -hmm. one way or another.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, the two extremes that we could have, he could develop into a well-known jobber ricochet, who at some point or another might have been a tremendous wrestler that was pushed everywhere. Uh, But he really, like, became, like, who he, like, he really, like, started his development it, when he got to Japan, because beforehand he was just kind of a skinny spot monkey and then when he got to Dragon Gate, he, like, put on muscle and developed, like, proper match structures. And then on the other end of the extreme is, like, Dirt by Kid, who got shoot kicked in the head uh, by, um, uh, by, uh, Sasuke. Uh, by Sasuke. He got shoot kicked in the head by Sasuke because he just wouldn't work with Sasuke and just wanted to do his spot, so... I would, my guess would be that Ninja Mac falls somewhere in between those, hopefully more towards Ricochet than Dirt by Kid, but I think somewhere in between those two is where he will end up.
1: Yeah, I think, I think for m- most part, the era of stupid foreigners coming to Japan and making fools of themselves has not completely gone away, but it seems to be a lot less than it used to be in the 80s and 90s.
2: Yeah. And it's also uh, the, Japanese wrestlers are also a little, they they have chilled out a little bit where they will just like chew a guy out backstage and not just beat him up in the ring anymore. So we don't even know like who actually like got proper heat. But again, need I remind you uh, of the All Japan Tour of Josh Bodum and really how that can still really happen and how that can go sideways really fast. But that was obviously a special case too.
1: Yes. And now no one will ever see him again. Yeah. No, thank God for that. All right. So I guess that wraps up the questions. Just a note um, when we record the next episode in about two weeks, we'll record after the all Japan cork and hall show on the 23rd. So by the time the show finally gets up, might be a little later that week, but we will be back covering all of the Noah cork and shows and all Japan and any news that pops up in between i mean i'm sure we'll have some some st- more stuff like that to talk about given the NOAA press conference about the ghc tag titles and everything like that uh so any closing thoughts this
2: week paul um yeah i'm just really excited kind of about the stuff that's coming up over the coming weeks uh for both promotions i think there's a lot of interesting developments Uh, that are going to happen. And I think we we are going to have really a lot to talk about it on the next show.
1: Okay, great. All right. For Paul Vosch, I'm Gerard Di and we'll see you in about two weeks. Uh, Welcome back to the Emerald Flow Show. This is an emergency addendum we are adding to this episode. Uh, It's late at night here in Canada and probably early in the morning in Germany, but we thought this was important enough that we were just going to come on here and record. Uh, Getting reports out of the press conference uh, from NOAA about the status of the GHC heavyweight tag titles sort of like what we uh, suspected uh Muto and naomi Chimara Fuji are vacating them uh, due to an injury to mudo but what i think is the most newsworthy thing coming out of this is it's a left it's a left hip injury to mudo as i'm um, just looking at a news site here uh left hip joint lip is the translation i don't know what uh that is ideal uh how you would say that we'll probably figure that out later but uh, a 59 year old man whose body is already beating up getting a hip injury that's not good paul
2: no that is uh it's when i kind of saw the announcement and i mean we were speculating earlier in the episode uh, that it would be kind of an injury to Muto, most likely what i was thinking like maybe he like pulled a muscle muscle or something or there's like again something with his knees that came up why they were like going to vacate the titles? and not a hip injury. And yeah, as I said, kind of, for someone that is nearly 60 and has been a professional athlete for such a long time at the stage that his body is in any way, I think that's the reason why we're recording this because this could very likely mean the end of Mudo's career now. Absolutely, uh, I just don't see
1: it's just insane if he would come back at this point because he's really going to end up in a wheelchair by the time he's sixty-five. If he does, um, I could see him coming back for one match where he will be as about as mobile as Giant Baba was in <laughs> in his last years. But other than that, I really think that this is it. Probably, it just that kind of injury is just too much to come back from at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is Muto still, so like, I mean, he should have like given the state of his knees he should have retired a while ago and he refused to do that but i think really like there's really only so much your body can overcome like you you can still kind of like do some stuff with like the fake knees that he has but like for example like let's say like this this is really bad he needs to get hip replacement like you, you just you can't come back from that like as i said like he might have one more match and that one is even also most likely going to be kind of a multi-man attack or whatever, where he just runs through some of the spots that he might still be able to do at that stage. But I really, like, I can't see him do anything more than that. And uh, So I've got
1: a few more details here that <laughs> sort of just add to the whole you got to hang this up, Mudo. Uh, according to Mudo, his doctors think that because of the knee replacements, it's uh, adding more pressure onto his hip.
2: Yep.
1: And, and uh and his hip started to hurt on January 1st at the Budokan show and then um on the show on the 8th it got even worse. So um and I'm just looking here reading the the transcript of the press conference if you'll bear with me. Um yeah, it just sounds like He wants, I, again, this is not an exact translation. So he says he
2: wants to be back within a year or within the year. I mean, I get it. It's Mudo. So he he's going to say stuff like that. And I think he genuinely believes it as well, just because of everything that he has managed to overcome so far. But I just don't see like a way, like, like this is physically possible.
1: Now it says he doesn't have any plans for surgery. He's just going to do rehabilitation. It yeah. says the gaps yeah. in the hip joint are getting smaller and he pour, pours some sort of acid, hyaluronic <laughs> acid or oil. And like, I don't know, this doesn't sound good. And even if he doesn't need surgery, if he keeps wrestling, he's, his hip's going to dissolve.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's going to dissolve because he keeps pouring acid on it. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> and that's just a translation. I don't know what okay. exactly it is, but <laughs> it's like hyaluronic acid. It's not high, uh, you know
2: oh okay okay yeah i think yeah okay i mean still i don't know like yeah you know you like that's maybe that's also just a sign from your body that like maybe like you just shouldn't keep doing this like like how many more body parts do you need to like stop functioning basically like you already lost your knees and now you're gonna lose your hip and then like it's only gonna get worse from there
1: okay listen to this transcript again not translated it's translated so it's not perfect but i think this encapsulates mudo the question from the media what was your view on the continuation of active duty obviously continuing to wrestle mudo that's
2: not what the doctor decides it's what i decide (laughs) i mean yeah i get it but still like like don't want to end him up like takiyama for example. Yeah. Just really uh, kind of the worst case scenario. Yeah. The
1: joints are inflamed and the water is pooled. Yeah. Like he he had this was going back all the way to the nineties. He was getting uh like pooling liquid in his knees and stuff. So yeah, this just sounds horrible.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like if like I know it's Muto and everything, and but really at some point you just Well, at, at some happening. point, even
1: like Cyberfight's gotta step in and be like, Yeah, you're a liability to us if you continue wrestling.
2: Yeah. Because and I'm like, sure, yeah. If something serious happens to him while he's in the ring, like that's like that's really something CyberFight doesn't need right now. Is they're trying to build up Noah again? I mean, not to like harp on this too much, but like Noah has already had a significant death in the ring, and I don't think they need another one. Exactly,
1: and so I think that's all we know for now on the injury status. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't even seem like I don't know. moodle seems. I just the vibe I get reading this stuff again translation but just like he's stubborn
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean maybe one one more thing to touch on as well is kind of briefly with the kind of kaito kiyomiya storyline as well where i think we're both kind of in agreement that i was kind of most likely not going to end kind of with maybe it was going to end with kaito winning but it was increasingly unlikely and i think now that's more or less out of the question and It was always kind of like a weird move by like the promotion to kind of have a storyline like this and have it rely on a guy that is nearly 60 with a laundry list of injuries because of exactly something like this happening, turning that into like a long-term storyline.
1: Yeah. When you're dealing with a 59-year-old man with the body beat up as Mudos, that's a six-month storyline max, not something we've drawn out over a year
2: now. Yeah. So yeah, two, we'll, we'll, really. we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where Kaito goes from here, but I mean, Hey, I, I would just put him and Inamura back together and just put the tag titles on them now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't think now I, I think Kaito needs some rehabbing, but I don't think this is totally going to tank him yeah, if nothing else. Know keep Mudo going out will at least keep them from doing something stupid with <laughs> him and Mudo again at the very least even if he never gets that big win and perhaps Kaido can pin Mudo or make mm-hmm. him submit in that retirement match that is probably coming yeah. or yeah. or
2: he like Mudo can just become like Kaito second or something now like
1: yeah but just uh, just uh, this was inevitable almost right yeah. I mean how many people were making I'm surprised Mudo lasted as long as he did on this run
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, given Noah's style and everything, uh, it, it is really surprising that he actually managed to last as long, especially because he was mostly like doing title matches and everything. So it's not like he was really like holding back either. So I mean, kudos to him for like holding up for as long as he did. But this really kind of like in hindsight now, this feels like an inevitability.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and I Mudo was one of my all time favorites despite all of his uh, wild and crazy ideas and stupid things he's done but you know i wish him the best but just this was bound to
2: happen yeah i mean i i'll I'll also be more than happy if he actually manages to like come back from this and still like be somewhat able to wrestle but yeah i'm just like i give that like a very small chance uh do you have any other thoughts on this uh issue or anything like that uh not right now uh i mean i assume like we're gonna get like some like we're probably going to be like, rev- like when we review like the next big show, which is uh on the 23rd of February, uh, we're probably, I would assume, they're going to have some sort of plan for the title then, whether it's like a tournament that starts then, or if we're just going to have a straight up kind of uh tag title match, uh, on that show. Uh, I mean, we're going to review that on the next episode. Oh, I also see here on uh, on the on the
1: January 8th show. Which was the New Japan and um, versus Noah show, which I forgot. Mm -hmm. I just saw that date. He he says he was all like on the painkillers in that match. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is what we're dealing with, folks, and why, you know, I think both of us are pretty uh, uh, skeptical that uh, Mudo's going to be coming back beyond maybe a retirement match. Anyway, so, but we thought this was a big enough story and could very well be one of the big stories in, in Japanese wrestling this year. Uh, so we decided that, you know, it was worth recording a little emergency uh, portion of the show to tack on at the end about all of this. And one thing that, before we go, I uh, just have to note uh, we forgot to cover that, and this was my mistake because I thought the show was happening a few days later. January 20th or February 23rd is also the uh Noah show where it's Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Kazuyuki Fujita for the GHC heavyweight title um you know we don't have a lot of time here so I'm just going to say I'm expecting Nakajima to retain and but we will cover that show on our next episode where we'll also cover the all Japan February 23rd uh and Hall show Mm-hmm. All right. So for Paul Vosch, I'm Georgia Troll. and this time we'll definitely talk to you in two weeks.